0: Here's Randy.
1: Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to a fine time for healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. And uh, before I get started, I want to remind all of you if you have not already gone to my mobile app called Narcissistic Abuse Awareness. I encourage you to do that. Um, it is. It will connect you with everything I do the moment I do it. So it's really, really great. Um, Just look that up on your um, Google Play store or your um, iTunes store or whatever, and you'll be able to find that. It'll come up, um, upload it, and check it out and leave me a review. Hopefully it's a good one. Um, Have you ever tried to just snap out of it, but you can't seem to? But are you ready to move past traumas? I know that you are. Today's special guest, Dr. Stephanie Mines, author of We Are All in Shock, redefines psychological trauma and revolutionizes the concept of self-care by identifying the true cause of anxiety, explaining why it is so prevalent in society today, and how by recognizing its effect, we can find new stability and healing. We Are All in Shock provides the tools for reclaiming complete well-being after overwhelming experiences of shock, whether caused by the massive sweep of current events, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, or a personal catastrophe. We Are All in Shock demystifies energy medicine by presenting accessible tools to help diminish and eliminate the nervous system's habitual responses to overwhelming traumas. Dr. Mind's work combines skills from Japanese energy healing arts related to acupressure on the energy meridians of the body with the most contemporary scientific interpretation of how the brain works to offer a clear understanding of neurological behavior. Recognize bewitched or possessed objects and remove their effects. Dr. Stephanie Mines is a neuropsychologist whose unique understanding comes from her academic research as well as her extensive work in the field. She has investigated trauma as a survivor, as a professional, a healthcare provider, and a trainer of staffs of institutions and agencies. She has developed the TARA. Capital T A R A approach for the resolution of shock and trauma, which is taught internationally and is a clinically tested comprehensive treatment design. Let's welcome her to the show today. Good morning, Stephanie. Welcome.
0: Good morning, Randy.
1: Would you prefer I call you Stephanie or Doctor Minds? Which is
0: Oh stupid- Stephanie, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Stephanie. Okay. All right.
1: So When I saw the title of your book, We Are All in Shock, I thought to myself, what could that possibly mean? But as I began to explore it, I I became to understand that um, it is something that we often call trauma, but it's actually shock. So I wanted to start with telling us the difference between what shock is and what trauma is.
0: Thank you, Randy, and I'm so glad we're starting here because this question comes up frequently. And the difference between trauma and shock is really a difference of magnitude, but that magnitude is coupled with a difference in frequency. So repeated trauma, particularly when it starts very early in life, mounts, and it becomes cumulative and forms a shock response in terms of its impact on the nervous system specifically. So I am actually speaking physiologically here in making the differentiation between shock and trauma. So a simple way to look at that difference is to look at the word resource. So a resource is what we turn to when we are overwhelmed. If those resources are exhausted or become unavailable, either because we can't access them or because we can't remember them, because of the magnitude of overwhelm we're in, then the situation from a physiological perspective Enters a different order of magnitude, which is shock. Okay. Does that make wow. sense, Randy?
1: Yes, um, but I, I do want to know more. Um, <clears throat> so, if we, you know, you say that this can begin in utero. As a matter of fact, it can be. It can begin very, very early. So how would how would we experience shock in utero or as a newborn?
0: Well, shock at very early uh, cycles of life is experienced subcortically or below the level of cognition. So it doesn't translate into language; it translates into sensation. So it translates into behavior. Uh, So, for instance, uh, someone who, by dint of circumstances, uh, such as, let's say, being conceived uh, during wartime, when the environment is overwhelming consistently and one's parents are under extraordinary duress, That person, for instance, could be experiencing shock because resources that would avert one or two of those instances in utero that could be calmed, let's say, by a resourced mother, that mother might not have access to that state of feeling resourced due to the extremity of the environment. That could be a condition of shock. And actually there are studies that demonstrate that.
1: Now when you say resources, are you referring to coping mechanisms? Um, Are they, is that one and the same?
0: They can be, but resource is actually much deeper than a coping mechanism, though they, they can be interchangeable at times. A resource, the depth of a resource is that it actually mirrors you back to yourself. In other words, in that experience of that particular, let's say coping mechanism, you actually have a full sense of who you truly are. So uh, as an example, uh, creativity is an extraordinary resource and provides a pathway to resilience. So if let's say Uh, And I'm actually speaking of myself here, so talking about my own personal experience, for me, writing uh, has always been a resource. And I think even before I could physically write, I was writing in my head, uh, and that activity of creating with language is you might say a coping mechanism, but it goes beyond a coping mechanism because when I'm engaged in that activity, I feel empowered. My physiology changes. And indeed, with a resource, your neurohormonal messaging shifts, and that's critical. Interesting.
1: Very interesting. So when we're children... Um, we do we have some of these natural resources because you were saying you were doing it in your head. So children deal with um, shock and trauma very different ways, right? Depending on, and where would they where would they get these
0: resources from? Are they in great a questions. Okay. great questions? Great questions, Randy. Yes. Okay. So. You might say that some of these resources are innate. I am not sure I can answer that question fully as to where these resources come from. You know, where did I gain the facility and access to storytelling, imaginative making, creativity with language? Where did I gain that? Uh, One could say there's an epigenetic quality. I come from a lineage of storytellers and story storymakers, uh, though in a very folksy way. Um, I have only one actual author in my uh, family line, uh, and that was not someone I was raised with. Uh, but there is in my family traditions, you know, this uh, – really hundreds of year old capacity to tell stories as a cultural way of being. So perhaps it came from that. So these resources are the uniqueness of brain development for each individual. I am sure they are influenced by epigenetic factors, and they are completely observable in children. Uh, They are identifiable in children, and that's why, for instance, there are such incredible therapies uh, that are like sanctuary therapy, play therapy, the therapies that really allow children to be mirrored in these resources that they have and build these resources uh, demonstrates that, for one thing, each individual is utterly unique and their resources are utterly unique, what allows those resources to become healthy and to flourish is that they are mirrored. Someone engages with that individual and mirrors back to them the beauty of that resource. Okay.
1: So this would, that would explain why children react to the same, they could be exposed to the same trauma or shock. And react differently Um, so it's not just that they lack the coping mechanisms because of their age but it is this innate ability to tap into resources that would distinguish the way one child would cope with it versus another right is that
0: correct excellent insight so what makes the difference there is that mirroring experience so A child who, and I've done this research uh, quite a bit, and uh, my work with sensory integration and neurodiversity in children that's documented in my book, New Frontiers in Sensory Integration, uh, a book I wrote after uh, We Are All in Shock, that book documents how even with children who are struggling with learning difficulties, for instance, the simple act of mirroring back to those children the skills that one sees rather than the quote-unquote disorder that has been diagnosed enhances that child's learning capacity. And Temple Grandin, Uh, one of the foremost experts in surveying autistic populations has documented this as well.
1: Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Um, So let's go a little bit into my specialty. And uh, we know that uh, narcissistic personality disorder develops in childhood as a result of some kind of trauma, and they also say that um, you know there's a, there could be a genetic component, so it's nature and nurture kind of thing. Why? So so why would one child in a family develop NPD, and the other children become codependent, or um, you know rebellious, or uh, or they um, dissociate? <clears throat> Why would that happen?
0: Well, there is research that indicates that that difference is the result of attachment and bonding and the degree to which that child experiences healthy attachment and the instances and the duration, the frequency of unhealthy attachment. So there's a gorgeous uh, book called Ghosts from the Nursery, uh, written by uh, two public health experts who studied brothers uh, who were raised first by their birth parents uh, and then one of them by grandparents. And one of these brothers became a criminal and the other one flourished. Uh, both of them actually engaged in criminal activity during their adolescence, but one continued uh, to pursue a criminal outlets, and the other took a very different turn and became highly educated and got his life together beautifully. What was wow. the difference between these two brothers? Uh, same parents, same early experience, but one of them... Spent a considerable amount of time with grandparents who were able to provide healthy attachment. Healthy attachment meaning uh, the child experiences safety in connection, the child is mirrored in the way that I described earlier uh, by the adults in a positive way. There's an emphasis on enhancing resources. One has a sense of consistency and continuity in that anchoring in the healthy brain of an adult. That's what made the difference in this particular study, and it's longitudinal uh, and is played out in this book, Ghosts from the Nursery. So I highly recommend that as uh, an incredible... Study uh, in, in a fascinating delivery uh, to answer okay. that question of yours. Okay. Now, what?
1: A, but what about if there, if the attachment is is fairly non-existent for all children in one family, um, and their responses are different to that, um, because you know, in a in a family where there's a narcissistic parent, you may have one child who develops a personality disorder, um, but then other children sort of deal with it differently. And I just wonder if, um, you know, if they're tapping into different resources under the same condition. Personal I think you've resources.
0: answered your own question. I think you've okay. answered your own All right. question. Okay, so that's rounded. what it is.
1: Okay, so they're tapping into resources. Okay, so let's talk about the um, <clears throat> the physiology of this. So. Shock, you say shock occurs as a result of any experience that overrides all our health and coping mechanisms. Um, the experience confuses our nervous system and disrupts our normal and balanced neurological and endocrine responses to threat. And then lacking any resources to cope, we feel as though our nervous system is failing us and um you know, we're overcome in an instant with complete vulnerability and um, we're, we're pretty much silenced. So what is the mechanism, physical mechanism that is happening there when we experience
0: shock? The physical mechanism is a, a reflection of uh, what is polyvagal function or the responses of the social engagement system And those responses are orienting towards survival. So one is shutting down because one feels so incredibly threatened that the activation silences expression. And that individual goes into a freeze response. Uh, there is another option, which is an overactivated response, but depending on the age and depending on the environment, the freeze response tends to be the first one and tends to dominate. So, the physiology of that is an over secretion of cortisol to drown out adrenaline. So, that individual feels threatened to express herself, to act, and therefore physiologically from within herself begins to create the neurohormonal response that will keep her safe.
1: Um, Survivors of, let's just say, narcissistic abuse, but it could really be any abuse or any, uh, any shock, I guess, that Um, experience triggers later on and will freeze as a result of it. Is the same mechanism at work?
0: Yes, and what you're describing here is really uh, physiological also. It's the result of how the memory structures of the human body store information. So the conditions... Of that original overload, uh, which may have been multiplied by repetition, usually that's the case, the conditions, and by conditions I mean time of day that it happened, uh, season that it happened, um, whether the individual experienced that overwhelm inside or outside, whether the, let's say, narcissist uh, was abusive and was Tall, short, fat, male, female, those are the conditions that are stored in the memory structures of the body, Uh, and there are several, uh, but the primary one being the amygdala, which is a small uh, structure in the limbic brain, the amygdala's method of organizing those details is conditionally not chronologically or logically in any way. So when those conditions present themselves again, the entire system goes into its original shock response until that individual educates its memory structures that there is a difference between the past and the present. And that is the essence of the material I deliver in my book, We Are All in Shock. The thrust of that book is to provide tools, touch tools, as well as language tools, perspective, understanding tools that allow us to differentiate the past from the present physiologically and step fully into the present where we are resilient and resourced. That's amazing. It's
1: amazing that there are tools that can help us do that, um, because I know this is a problem for many. I mean, even we're talking about veterans. We're talking about people who have suffered injuries, you know, shocking injuries and things like that. So um, this is amazing, an amazing breakthrough on your part. what would be so trauma would stimulate the limbic limbic brain which accesses resources to respond so can you give us a little bit of a distinction there so <clears throat> um, trauma stimulates the limbic brain accesses resources to respond okay so when there's trauma we access resources is that i mean Correct. you're saying that but it, i want Mandy. you andy but you're uh, so you got it You've, okay, so explain yes,
0: that. You've got it. So trauma, let's say a singular trauma that occurs uh, not in the context of repetition or frequency, a single event, that will lead in a variable amount of time, but ultimately and usually um, you know, shortly to accessing resources. Shortly could be, an hour, a minute, a week, a month, but resources will arrive and respond to that particular trauma. Shock is activating not only the limbic structures, it is also activating the survival mechanisms, the primitive brain, and this is why the polyvagal system is such an important system to include in our understanding of coming out of shock. The primitive uh, brain is in survival mode and the alliance between that primitive activation plus the limbic activation is cutting off access to cortical and neocortical potential in problem solving. That's what makes resources so difficult to access. So the beauty, the word amazing is uh, definitely appropriate. Uh, The amazing quality of the resources in my book is that that sequencing is disrupted through the use of these resources. And one is able then to access cortical and even neocortical problem-solving capacities by clearing this obstruction in the primitive and limbic brain.
1: Mm. Okay. Thank you. That's, thank you for that explanation. Okay. You, you know, you talk about um, whenever I see self-love described in, in any book, um, <laughs> I always light up because I know <laughs> that self-love is really um, at the core of so much healing. So you say it's not just a feeling or thought, it's a wonderful physiological experience that results in part from a neurological shift that you can call the neurobiology of love. So where does um, self-love fall into play in in all of this?
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful question, Randy. Uh, So the key to physiological experiences of self-love is through the vehicle of touch. So touch is really our first language. So we experience touch even in utero because we are in contact with the elements of our mother's body. And that watery structural encounter there begins to communicate with us and it communicates with us hormonally and signals the afferent efferent nervous system in other words messaging that sequences through the structures of the developing baby's body well that same dance you might say uh, of response to touch goes on throughout life it's becomes more and more subtle. In utero or for small children, this is a dominant theme. They are experiencing sensory touch in in all aspects of development. You can see that in the faces of children in their bodies, that they are purely sensory responders to everything they encounter. That becomes more subtle as we get bigger and denser. But that messaging is still going on. So the touch applications in my book are really important for this transformational experience. And because this messaging of love is delivered by touch, it makes the process of healing much more efficient. What could be safer than your own touch? And Even if you're not necessarily in a loving frame of mind, when you contact the sites that are described and mapped in my book, the message is still loving uh, because the sites are vortices of highly charged memory storehouses that have been known traditionally. Uh, as being almost like uh, sacred sites is what I actually call them, chakras might be an analogy, so that when the connective tissue of one's hands contact these sites, you literally turn them on, you open them up, and they then deliver through uh, bioelectricity the loving message that is inherent. Here the word inherent is completely appropriate. That loving message which is inherent in our connective tissue is conducted then through the spinal column into the primitive brain, and the experience is one of relief, of safety, and that we have uh, in my research tracked consistently – and the results are really phenomenal.
1: And, and the, the way that you describe this in the book, it's very easy for us to do. And it's not like we have to put pressure on it. All we have to do is really touch that area. And, exactly. And what, what amazed me is that this is something we can do by ourselves. We don't need to go to someone to touch us. <clears throat> so our self-touch is is it equally as effective as um, the touch of someone else, or is it more effective?
0: It's more effective. Mm -hmm. And what better news for a time like this? The (laughs) power of self-care, I call it radical self-care. This is radical self-care, because the loving touch on these particular sites that you deliver for yourself, particularly when you're consistent with this touch experience, revolutionizes your nervous system. It not only restores equanimity, it actually evolves your resilience. So it brings you out of the shock vortex, and puts you not only into a healing vortex, it takes you beyond the healing vortex. It stimulates evolution within the nervous system and within the neurological structures. And that capacity for resilience is always there at any age, at any time, under any conditions.
1: Just, just amazing, and you used the word amazing before, but it is amazing. So this is, um, <clears throat> you have integrated um, your uh, knowledge as a um, neuropsychologist with an ancient, or not ancient, but an Asian, I should say, Eastern method called um, Jinshin Jayatsu um, well, that was the master, Jinshin Jayatsu, and um, he was the one that discovered this map in the body, right?
0: The master of Jinshin was a man named Jiru Murai, and I tell his story in the book. He taught my teacher, who I personally and directly studied with for a long time, well over 20 years. Uh, and she is no longer in the body. uh, But Jirunrai transmitted this art, which is ancient, uh, but it had gone out of recognition. It was not known and still is not very well known uh, and originated probably uh, in a place that has now become Japan, but at a time when you know, that site was really much more culturally diverse. Uh, So it's an ancient system, and while the delivery of it was in Japan, my teacher, Mary Eno Burmeister, she married an American uh, and became Mary Eno Burmeister, Mary was very clear that this system is beyond any particular location or culture. It belongs to humanity. Uh, and so Jira Murai, uh trained my teacher. She then married Mr. Burmeister and came to America where I met her. And I was and am every day incredibly blessed to have received those teachings directly from her and to have been able to evolve those teachings uh, with her blessings uh, in my studies with Uh, neuroscience and the research that I did originally with traumatic brain injury, uh, working with veterans who you mentioned earlier, survivors of war trauma uh, and their families is very close to my heart. And I have also written a book about that called, they were families, how war comes home.
1: So you um, took this method and created Uh, your own approach, you adapted it into the TARA approach for resolution of shock and trauma. So that's capital T-A-R-A, standing for, what does the T-A-R-A stand for?
0: Tools for Awakening, Resources, and Awareness. Okay.
1: And then you go on in the book to show us um, how you, what this approach is about. So um, you've told us uh, about the touch and everything like that, but what else is involved in the TARA approach for resolution of shock and trauma?
0: So the way that I evolved the gentian that my teacher uh, transmitted to me came as a result of my studies in neuroscience and my work originally with survivors of sexual abuse and domestic violence. And that evolution has to do with how consciousness develops alongside the physiological shifts that occur in response to the touch system and how the cultivation of that consciousness in concert with the receptivity to the touch enhances and makes even more efficient the recovery from shock and trauma. So the language tools that are included in We Are All In Shock are as important as the touch tools. And furthermore, there is education. I am a a passionate educator. So I want not only to transmit the touch system and the language Uh, possibilities, I also want people to experience the empowerment that comes from the translation of science into their understanding of what's happening in their own bodies and in the bodies of their children and how they can be of service to their families and to their communities. And I am particularly inspired to deliver this kind of education now uh, for obvious reasons. So we at the grassroots level uh, have the capacity to enhance our well-being, our physical well-being, and our consciousness simultaneously Without having to go anywhere, without having to get in your car and you know risk contamination, which is a factor these days, hopefully that will pass. But even under better circumstances, this empowerment allows us to evolve our own health with our own hands and our own intelligence.. Mm-hmm.
1: What an amazing tool. Um, so, before the pandemic happened, would you have said that we are all in shock?
0: Yes, I originally wrote this book before the pandemic, but okay. it has been evolved, in other words, uh, updated. This uh, is a reissue of a book that I wrote prior to the pandemic, but which I made additions to and provided additional resources in light of the pandemic.
1: So why would everyone be in shock? There's, so at some point in, in everyone's life, there is a shocking incident?
0: That traces back to a question you asked earlier uh, and has to do with attachment. It has to do with... The way that uh, Western cultures in particular, but that is the dominant cultural influence, unfortunately, we have not made sufficient space for indigenous intelligence that orients towards attachment differently. There's an incredible and well-known book called uh, The Continuum Process, uh, which demonstrates the difference between indigenous parenting and the way that even childbirth uh, has been industrialized uh, so that the conditions of raising our families have lessened and even obfuscated the attachment experience. So that predominant influence uh, that is unnecessarily associated with the cultures that, that we inhabit. In other words, we didn't necessarily need to industrialize development in the way that we have, but that's what occurred, and as a result, bonds between uh, parents and children, between mother and child in particular, have been broken. Uh, and that has caused incredible shock to m- many nervous systems.
1: Wow. Well, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, um, to wrap my head around that because, you know, what about parents who are completely devoted to um, or very aware about attachment <clears throat> with their children? Will they still is it still because we've changed from this indigenous um, way of raising children that that we're still missing something?
0: There of course are going to be degrees of the shock response and absolutely uh, having an awareness of attachment and cultivating attachment parenting uh, is going to mitigate those shock responses. That reflects back to that uh, reference that I made earlier uh, to the book Ghosts from the Nursery about Mm -hmm. these two boys, brothers, raised uh, by the same parents originally,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and one of them raised by grandparents later in life, who were conscious of their attachment responsibilities and the child who did not have that exposure became a criminal. The one who did have that exposure was able to reclaim his birthright of a good life. Yeah. There's another study, a beautiful and well-known study. I call these studies beautiful. They're, they're studying tragedy. Uh, What's beautiful about them to me as a scientist is how much service is provided by the studies, but what they're studying is, is so difficult. And this is the Prague unwantedness study, which is a longitudinal study also, that follows children who were conceived during wartime. And these children were all born in the same hospital in Prague. And half of the children were unwanted uh, and that's known because the right. mothers they requested abortion and were denied abortion uh, and continued to feel that they did not really want to have these children. And the other half uh, in the study were wanted by their parents. Re- abortion was never requested. The children, and, and this study is available to anyone uh, to read. It's classic. The children who are unwanted, uh, uh, they just consistently struggled enormously in life. They, stu- they struggled with learning. They studied, struggled with relationships. They struggled with career. Um, and it, the contrast is quite dramatic, actually, between the unwanted children and those who are wanted. So this demonstrates in quantitative measures uh, the impact of attachment even beginning in utero okay so and and
1: attachment can be Mm -hmm. broken too even if you start with attachment something you know things can happen I guess you could lose a parent or a parent could leave you or things like that and that could be um, you could develop attachment later on uh, um, issues with attachment later on right
0: yes of course that's possible but the tendency is that healthy early attachment within the period that's called the primal period uh, is long-lasting uh, and memorable and okay. sustaining. Okay. So there's of but, course the possibility of difficulty, but that early attachment will resonate. Okay.
1: All right. Well, that's good to know.
0: <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about this. this yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about this energy healing. So when we're um, when we're touching, um, we you talk about um, noticing pulse, pulsation, rhythm in our hands, um, how it changes, and what is the effect of that on these touch points?
0: The effect of our what is it? okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. What, so what's occurring? Go ahead, go ahead. Andy. No, that
1: no, I, just, I just wasn't sure I made it clear, but go
0: ahead. Yeah, what's happening in the contact between your fingertips and these sites, so connective tissue meeting connective tissue, is a recalibration of bioelectricity. So bioelectricity is what, uh, is conducted throughout the human structure, and that's what's measured in x-rays, in CAT scans, in fMRIs. Those are all measuring bioelectricity. Uh, and, and this is indigenous wisdom also, that this conducting of bioelectricity can be recalibrated by touch. So this that's why this is such a simple system, And so teachable, and I want everyone listening to know that it is available to you, and I uh, refer you to my website, uh, tara-approach.org, where you will see upcoming programs that make this touch system and all the other aspects I've been describing available to you. These are open to anyone, and there are some introductory programs available Just by placing your hands on these sites, um, the fingertips, and there's some detail involved here. There is some training, of course, but this is for everyone. It is meant to be for everyone, and that does not lessen its profundity. On the contrary, it enhances its profundity. And the belief that only certain people with certain letters after their name can create this amazing transformational possibility is a colonized understanding. It's inaccurate. We all have the birthright of having capacity to make a difference in our own well-being and certainly in the well-being of our children and our family members as well as our community. In fact, uh, the comments of one of my favorite uh, researchers, Margaret Mead, is that civilization is identified by our compassionate capacity and willingness to reach out to one another through healing. She identified the presence of a healed femur bone as the sign of civilization advancing because in order for that femur bone to have healed, there had to have been some intervention by someone who helped that person with that injury. Otherwise, that femur bone would not have healed and that person would have been left to die. That's the difference between civilized and uncivilized is our capacity at the grassroots level to reach out to one another. And that's my particular uh, direction and interest uh, is in that kind of training. And, and it's because of the effectiveness of this outreach at the grassroots level available to everyone that I have been asked to be a member of the Planetary Health Lab of the University of Edinburgh. So the global health response must include these kinds of interventions at the grassroots level if we are to meet the health Consequences of climate change hmm. so interesting,
1: I love the work that you do i, I just find this fascinating <laughs> Thank you, Randy. I think it's it's so deep, and oh my gosh, I love it uh, <laughs> um, so that you let me just clear make make um make sure I heard you right, so on your website you offer instruction. So in other words, because as we go through this book, you're showing us all the points and, you know, what they do. Um, But I kept thinking to myself, it would be so much easier to watch instruction. Um, And so is that what you're um, providing on your website?
0: My website does um, give you access to that opportunity. And, of course, I'm doing all my programs now online. And there is demonstration. I am uh, also developing, uh, and some are now available, videos uh, that will provide that demonstration. Uh, But my courses absolutely give you that opportunity, yes.
1: Okay, awesome. And um, what is your website?
0: Uh, www.tara-approach.org. Perfect, perfect, okay. Uh,
1: can we go through one, maybe maybe one, uh, kind of guide us through one thing for uh, a real basic thing that we should all know, basic touch we should all know?
0: What a great idea. Of course, okay. I would love okay. to do that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask you uh, and make sure you're in a safe space to do this, listeners, uh, not driving, but in a place where you can be comfortable and have access to the use of both hands. Uh, And I'm going to invite you to bring your fingertips, and these can be any fingertips. Uh, I'm going to suggest, for instance, the fingertips of your middle and index fingers, But you can use any fingertips that are comfortable. And I'm going to invite you to bring those fingertips to the collarbone. And you can easily identify the collarbone, the clavicle, because it has a knobby uh, beginning point close to the midline of your body. So on the right and left side, there is that knobby beginning to the clavicle. Bring those fingertips right under that knob. So in the connective tissue that rests directly under that knob. And I'm going to invite you to just hold gently. There's really no pressure needed. So your fingertips are literally resting in that site. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and allow your breath to deepen and make space to just be present to what is occurring throughout your body and particularly the messaging coming into your fingertips. So let's be silent for three breaths. Noticing, staying present to your experience, your sensation. Letting yourself be fully present to what is occurring in your body. I'm going to invite you now to let those fingertips slide down on your chest. And you'll notice one diaphragmatic rib and then keep sliding down. There's a spongy space between that rib and the next rib. And then you'll feel that next rib and keep sliding down. And right there between the third and the fourth rib in the spongy area, let the fingertips rest there. And let's repeat that same present. Oh, I just I just have to
1: say, we need to speed this up. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, so these two sites that you're now experiencing, and even in not having much time left, let the breath be full. Notice what's occurring in your body. The first sight under the clavicle, the wings of the heart. The second site has the name the mother, the one between the third and fourth rib, and these two sites together, and you can mix and match them <laughs> with each other, hold the clavicle on one side, the uh, place between the ribs on the other side. These two sites will reformat your response to anything that creates anxiety, your polyvagal system that connects your brain, your heart, and your digestion will recalibrate optimally and enhance your vagal tone so that you meet stress from a place of anchored physiology present in the moment just under the collarbone between the third and fourth rib on the chest this allows you to step into the present
1: thank you for that what a gift that's so easy to do easy to remember and what a gift thank you Stephanie okay thank you, so Randy. um yeah, we are um, just about out of time, but, um, so your book is We Are All in Shock, and uh, this is available everywhere books are sold, online,
0: everywhere? Yes, yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, okay, and um, and to my listeners, you know, it's, there are all these different touch points that she shows in the book, um, so... The book, you know, there's so much more in this book I couldn't possibly cover in an hour, but, um, you know, I urge you, I encourage you, actually, to pick up a copy uh, and take a look at this because most of you, many of you, um, have suffered shock and trauma in your life um, because of abuse and other things like that. And wouldn't it be great to be able to heal yourself? I think that's amazing. So Stephanie, mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, um, this, this is a blessing. I, I really enjoyed talking with you today and I really enjoyed learning, uh, learning from you. Uh, and I look forward to knowing more.
0: So thank, thank you, you Randy. Thank it goes you. both days. I enjoyed <laughs> talking with you and learning from you. Wonderful questions. Thank you for the opportunity, Randy.
1: You're welcome. It's, it's been really fun. Um, thank you, and
0: um, I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, the same to you and to all listeners. Thank you for being here with us uh, in this, what Randy calls, amazing <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: yes uh, yes all right stephanie be well thank
0: you, you too bye-bye randy you.
1: bye-bye so we are out of time today but if you have any comments or questions about today's show you can email me at love your life at com. may joy and serenity always be yours
0: Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randifine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.